0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Full Cup, the podcast where uh, the guy who speaks mostly during the podcast doesn't know what a podcast is. <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs>
1: I don't know how to listen to, he, get to it either. He
0: refers to it as the, uh, you know,
1: the the, the iTunes.
0: It. <laughs> the, could you pull up a, the eBay? I got a podcast. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know what it is now. I'm getting better, but I I tried to show somebody how to find it the other day because they wanted to find it. it. Took me ten minutes, and we still couldn't find it. And walked out to my secretary, and in thirty seconds she had him on. It. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, that's I'm okay. Fighting.
0: You don't have to know anything about it. We just <laughs> we just want to pull information from your brain. The you know the stuff you know I,
1: about. I do text now, and I can actually uh, I, I understand an email now. Yeah. Think, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. doing pretty good.
0: You have an email address? I,
1: uh, I, I think we have two or three that you put in the you office. You don't know I, any I of them. them.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we have. They just printed up and handed it to me. Yeah, yeah, I can do it if I need to, but uh, they take good care of me yeah. over there. Yeah.
0: All right, so um, before we get started today... Uh, You wanted to touch on something. You've heard a few people talking about how they are getting free.
1: Yes. Uh, Last week, I was at a thing with my granddaughter who was dancing, and a young woman who who, uh, had been listening to the podcasts, is that correct? Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Saying a wonderful compliment and thanking me for what it was. And she said, I really am getting emancipated from my husband. It's wonderful. And then zipped on by. And I thought, okay. Good. Emancipation is good. But I wanted to ask her, are you loving him as much as you're getting free? You see, a lot of times people get free, but the other part of it is now that I'm so free from you, I can love you. I can love you more than ever. What I meant to say is if I can get free from my wife on a scale of one to 10 to only a two, then I'm only going to be able to love her at a two. But if I can get ultimately free from her, I can love her ultimately and, and the practice is based upon two issues, not just freedom, but the byproduct of freedom is that our love skyrockets. I tell people to measure your freedom by your capacity to love. In other words, your love is the barometer, the thing that measures how free you are. The freer you get, the greater your capacity to love. If you find that you're not loving your spouse or your parent or your child very much, I will ask you to question yourself. I must be letting my spouse, my parent, or my child drive me crazy or upset me in some place. Because if you're truly free, you can love them profoundly.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's like a barometer. Right, because some people might say, I'm free. I'm not going to let them mess with me.
1: And, and a lot of people, the spouse may sit there going, Well, it's wonderful that you're free, but what about me? What about us? What about our relationship? Don't you still care for me? So it's not just freedom. It's the freer you get, the more emancipated you are, the more you're going to be able to love. You have to work at both of them. To the same degree that you're getting free is the same degree to which you can love. Work at both sides of it, not just the freedom, not just the loving. Freedom by itself is plain selfish.
0: Yes. And you're just lonely then.
1: Uh, Nobody wants to be around you. That's right. And if you just love without any empowerment, without freedom, you'll be exploited. Please emancipate from your parents, from those that you love, from your God. But the freer you get from them, the greater your capacity to love. And if you're not loving them, you're not truly free.
0: Yeah, you you think you're free in a different way, yeah. maybe a physical way, but not internally.
1: So many people are afraid if I love that person, then I feel like I have to go under their thumb. I have to prove my love to them because I love them. I have to succumb to them. I will tell you, you may choose to eat some vegetables because you love them. I eat more vegetables today than I've ever eaten in my life, but every one of them has this in front of it. I choose to do this, to demonstrate how much I love my spouse. But if it's have to, it becomes force-fed vegetables. And when I mean vegetables that are forced upon me, I resent the vegetables, I resent the person giving me the vegetables, and I resent myself for not standing on my own two feet. Right. There are two vital principles here. One is agency, and the other is love. Last summer, I had a major epiphany, and I came home to my wife, and I was explaining to her this major epiphany. I've been reading the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the lawyers ask Christ, what's the greatest commandment?
0: To love
1: The Lord God. thy God with all, all thy heart, might, mind, 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 and strength, strength. and love okay. your neighbor as yourself. Love. It's the greatest commandment. And all the commandments hinge upon that. At the same time, I've been teaching people about the greatest gift, according to David O. McKay, which is free agency. Now, 42 years ago, I learned to do this. I learned to get free from my mother, loving her profoundly, and not letting her stuff hurt me or affect me or mess with me anymore. And I found that I could love her even more. And so I've been teaching people how to get free so you can love more than ever. And last summer I put these two together and I came home and I told your mother, I said, Karen, I'm so excited. I have this epiphany that not only is it the greatest gift, getting free, but the greatest commandment is to love. Get free and love profoundly. And now I have Jesus Christ and David O. McKay giving me some major backing. I always felt that the Lord taught me this 42 years ago and I've been teaching it, but now I have some major backing. And your mother looked at me and went, Well, duh. Duh, yeah, we all know that. (laughs) Dad, Craig, we know you've been doing that. You've not put that together. I said, no. Yeah, no, I like putting that little puzzle together. So it was a major epiphany. The greatest gift is to be free, to learn to be free. When you start steering your own life and you don't have anybody rescue you from your difficulties and you take responsibility of your difficulties, not blaming somebody else. Then if you get in a wreck, who has to take the heat? I do. And if you take 100% of the heat, who gets 100% of the wisdom? I do. And if you get 100% of the wisdom, you therefore exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that clear after what happened last week.
0: You know, not everyone who listens to this podcast knows very much maybe about The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You're quoting David O. McKay, who is a previous Mormon prophet from when when was he the prophet? The 50s, 50s. Uh, through the 70s. So when you were a kid? Yeah, when I was a child. Okay, so yeah, a lot of the things we talk about definitely relate to our religion, even without... And Christianity. And Christianity. And you'll
1: hear some Judaism thrown in along the way. And a lot of Taoism. Lao Tzu was my hero in the 60s. Okay,
0: Cool. So the things you're talking about, we've heard you talk about before, because it is the same principles, because they're, what you're saying, truth.
1: I believe they're truth, and now I have some major backing to support that, uh, that I've always felt, I've always had a belief in a supreme being. Our belief system in our supreme being often comes from our earliest authoritative figure, Mm -hmm. our mother, our father, a priest, a bishop, whatever, and so that puts a special onus on us as parents, that we want to be as good and as kind and as sweet and wonderful and yet firm with our children so they get a better understanding of what their supreme being might be like. Now, there comes a time in all of our lives when each of us gets to, and I believe must determine, the nature of our supreme being. And we don't have to subscribe to what anybody else has said, We get to determine that ourselves. So we certainly can borrow from people or scriptures or poetry or anything that can help us in that belief system. But having a belief system in a supreme being who loves you profoundly, who will never abandon you, who will always provide a way back, no matter how much struggle you have between body and spirit, no matter how many mistakes you have, he will make a way back if you come to him. On bended knee with a broken heart, a contrite spirit, repentant, which means to turn from that stuff, and I believe learn the wisdom from those difficulties, he will always make a way back. He'll never stop loving us, yeah. no matter what. And yeah. that to me is a one of the most profound and important psychological tools that people can have already in their system before they come to see yeah. me. But sometimes their lenses are distorted. And next week, we're going to talk about how we create distorted lenses and how we clear off distorted lenses.
0: Yeah.
1: But that's next week.
0: No, I like that. I like, um, you know, because I I have had conversations with people who would say something like, well, no, because God would do this or this. And I'm like, what? Your God does that? Oh, I'd for sure not follow that one. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, my God does it this way. Um, You know, I already have a structured belief based off of the religion I belong to, of how my God is. But I also do have some things that differ from that as well.
1: I understand. And there are truths throughout the world. I don't think there's a religion ever that doesn't have some truth to it. Right. And to ignore those is is a giant mistake, I believe.
0: Right. Okay. Well, so this is week two of self-esteem. Last week we talked about... Cooley's Looking Glass Mirror, mirror. yeah, and
1: very, yes. Helen Singer Highland Kaplan Singer at Columbia Kaplan. University. Columbia, yes. we yeah. talked about her. Yeah.
0: I had some people talk about how they love the story of your former client, and we're going to have their kids listen to it. And loved how you said, "Who isn't faking it in junior high? Like we all are." <laughs> and it was very reassuring because I think sometimes as parents, you see your kids struggling, and you think, "Oh, I wish they could be like this kid." well, that kid's faking it too, you know?
1: Most adults, I believe, are faking it also until they get an absolute knowledge of who they are. We sometimes refer to it as an identity crisis. We go through it in adolescence, sometimes in our 30s. We go again in our 40s, you Mm, know, that's Again? So I'm I'm in one at 37 right now, and I'm (laughs) real excited (laughs) for it to end, but I'm
0: not looking forward to another. Oh dear. Okay, so let's kick off with week two. Week two of self-esteem.
1: Okay. I'm just going to ask you some questions, Libby. Do you agree that the history that we have can affect how we perceive our reality? Yes. Yes. So if I have a bunch of gray history from my childhood, that might affect how I view me. Yes. And how I view the way the world is. Yes. If my mother said, I hate your guts, that might affect me a little bit. If she said it often enough, so that when I get married and my wife says she loves me, which my mother would also say, but follow it with, but I really do hate you. I might be suspect when my wife says, I love you. Yeah, you
0: don't necessarily believe her all the way. Yeah,
1: because of the earlier lenses. Mm -hmm. All right. So the question that I'll have for you today is, who has the clearest lens to define me? Now, my mother, she had history. Does she have the clearest lenses of her experience in this world when I came? Did she have a real clear picture as to what was correct and accurate? Or is it possible that her lenses, her neurological unconscious submodalities, may have been affected, tinted a little bit by her history? Yes. So should I let my mother define me? No. Well, in in my case, I decided I wasn't going to let my mother define me. She had said some things to me that I thought were very painful when I was a little boy and even as an adolescence. And I said, no one would talk to their child like that. No one would put their child out on the street at that age. Nobody would do that. Why are you doing that? That's crazy. But when I was a child and a teenager, I let those lenses define me. Mm -hmm. When I was told I would end up in prison one day, I'm not worth anything. The family would be better off without me. That was very painful to me. When my siblings said to me, why don't you just get out of here? Because she's not crazy when you're here. When my dad would say, just go downstairs. I don't know why she hates you. That was painful. That created some gray lenses. So I thought, well, I should let my dad then define me. Mm -hmm. But are my dad's lenses, are they affected by his history? Yes. He has four other children in the home. When he said to me at 15, you can't come home anymore. I went, wow. He said, If I bring you home, she says she'll leave. I need her there for
0: the other kids. kids,
1: I remember being really upset because it was the Saturday before I was starting high school and I'd been living wherever I could and I didn't have any clean underwear. (laughs) I remember that was really painful for me. And I thought, I'm not going to let him define me. So as I got into my young adult years, I decided, I will never let anybody define me. Mm -hmm. Not my mom, not my dad, not even my wife. Libby, if I let your mom define me, and let's say maybe one day I say something or do something that hits an old anchor in her, where some old abuse that she went through, or some painful experiences, and I accidentally, or maybe even an argument, hit those anchors, and she goes, "Ah!" gets all angry and bitter and yells at me. And I'm looking to her to define me. How do I feel?
0: No, not good.
1: So I vowed I will never let anybody define me. Only I will define me. Well, you've heard some of my historical lenses. Do I have a very clear lens to view me through? No. No, I didn't. Well, a number of years ago, uh, back in my heyday, uh, me and a bunch of my friends went to Park City one day. And we got so drunk that we couldn't drive home. So what we did is we walked across the street down to the park there by the old hospital, and we decided just to sleep on the lawn that night, and then we'd get up in the morning and drive home. That morning, I woke up with a little boy about six years of age, standing at my head, looking down on my face upside down, saying, what you doing, mister? Oh. <laughs> I think I was maybe 22 or 23 years of age. And I woke up, and I looked at him, and I said, what are you doing, Sunny boy? And he says. I'm just swinging on the swing at the park with my family. And he kind of smiled at me and I smiled at him. And I said, what does your t-shirt say? And he had one of these t-shirts on that said, I know that I'm special. Cause, C-U-Z, cause God don't make no junk. And I read it and I kind of smiled. I said, that's a good motto, kid. Way to go. I didn't think anything more of it. We went home. Well, years later, as you know, they called me to teach Sunday school. And I said to my Mormon bishop, I smoke and I drink and I have to have my coffee. And he looked at me and said, yeah, okay, will you teach primary? (laughs) He said, I don't think that'll be a problem here. He said, I think you'll love these kids. You're dealing with all I was doing child protection at the time. I had uh, a whole bunch of dead ones in that one particular year. And he said, I think these kids would be good for you. And I think you'd be good for the kids. Mm-hmm. And he said, and your son is going to be in the class coming up. So I thought, okay, I'll teach the class. I think the uh, one of the things that I learned in that class was this, that when God speaks to us, he doesn't necessarily say, yo, Libby, listen up, I got something to say. Mm-hmm. You might hear a song you might read a piece of poetry, you might read a scripture, you might read some uh, author's book, and you read it and you go, wow, that really makes sense to me. And it's as if the Spirit is whispering, this makes sense. So at that time, I realized he's not going to say, yo, Craig, listen up, I got something to tell you. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I decided when I was about that age that I would adopt what that little kid's t-shirt said, I know I'm special because God don't make no junk. So over the next little while, I decided I won't let my wife, I won't let my mom, my dad, my children, my bishop, my friends, even me, define me. Because all of my lenses are distorted and all of their lenses are somewhat distorted. Certainly, I like it when they are nice to me and they're kind to me. That's wonderful. But what I realized is no matter what I do, I'm still special. Even in my duality. In the past, we've talked about the duality is the struggle between the body and the spirit, what I call the red and the white.
0: Or the yin and the yin.
1: Yes. So I decided at that time that I'm not going to let anybody define me. Not even you, Libby. And I knew you loved me. But sometimes if I'd said something or did something and you got angry with me and I was letting you define me, I might go away saying, oh, I've been a terrible father. My daughter's so mad at me. Mm -hmm. God still loved me, even with the mistakes I may have made with you. That became a wonderful thing. Now, I talk about this as the miracle of special. And I believe it's something that each of us has to decide. For me, I used a belief system in a supreme being. Some might call that a crutch. For me, I need a crutch. Others might do it on their own by deciding, I'm not going to let anybody define me and decide that I'm special. As I said, I used a belief system in a supreme being who said I was special. Well, these are some of the miracles that occurred with what I call the miracle of special. The first thing that I realized, almost at a surprise, I'm special. Libby, are you special? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why are you special?
0: Lots of reasons. Yeah,
1: I'm putting you on the spot. One that you've been raised with, I think. Are you a child of God? Yes. Yes. No, you're not going to sit here in front of all these people listening to this podcast and tell me that your real dad is the guy that created the sun.
0: Yeah, well, he's everyone's dad. So yes, I will.
1: And everybody says that. But how many really believe it? I had a patient a couple of weeks ago, 70, 77 years of age. And she said, well, I've been taught that all my life. And I said, yeah, do you believe it? Well, yeah, I guess I said, well, really put it in and smoke it, you know,
0: put it in every cell of your body. I'm God's kid. (laughs) Put that in your pipe and smoke it, lady.
1: (laughs) And that's what I'm saying. We can take these issues that we've been raised with, but we see it on the superficially, put it inside and decide your real dad. I'm your earthly dad, but your real dad is the guy that created the sun, the moon, the stars that created everything. No, that's not possible. That's scientifically not possible until we move into the white. In the red, the red can question it and look at it in all different kinds of ways. So the first thing of the miracle of special for me was recognizing that in his eyes, I'm special, even in my duality. It was a wonderful experience. It was like, wow. The next thing, I would look around and go, oh my goodness, what you said just a moment ago, everybody is? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you kidding me? The guy down the street who shot my dog, he's special?
0: Well, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's
1: just a little heavy in the red is what I say. Yeah. Okay. A little out of balance today or whatever. The people I work with, are they special?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, when I started knowing that they were special, and could see that they're special, and talk to them as if they're special, what do you think happened to my practice? Did it improve? Probably. It started to take off even more than what it already had. Because not only was I special, but these people I saw were special. So everyone around me was special. Now, I think most of my life, I've tried to be a good guy. I've gone out of my way to help my fellow man. It's one of the reasons I became a social worker. I wanted to work in the street and, and help people and help you know, Jack Kennedy said, uh, "Ask not what your con- country do for you. Ask what you can do for your country." And to me, that was in my hippie days. And I said, "Right on. That's the way I'm going to be." It also coincided with the religion that I believed that to serve was a real key. Well, guess what? Once I decided, and it's a decision that God says I'm special, my behaviors even became more special. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm special, you're just special. That's another part. So there's three parts. Now, this is the one that really blew me away. Every once in a while, people will stop me and say, hey, Berthold, I don't know what it is about you, but, but there's something special about you. And I go, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not because I've got an initials behind my name or because I've got a fancy office or because I've got you know, a new pickup truck or, or I'm a good duck hunter or a good duck shot. You know, I, I, Those things are earthly red things. I'll never boast in any of the red stuff that makes us special. Mm -hmm. But in the white, God says we're special, Libby. And the amazing thing is people will start recognizing you're special too. And so am I, and so is everybody else. It was literally, what happened? These people are telling me I'm special, but they would say, well, you gave a wonderful talk or you did this. Well, that's nice, but I, can, I, I won't say I know I'm special for the talk I gave. I say, I know that I'm special because he says I'm special. And I'll never let anybody define me ever again except him with a capital H. That's another. Now, I'm going to show you my right hand. In my right hand, I'm going to be not feeling so special. In my left hand, I'm going to rest that I'm special. I'd like you to criticize me now. I'd like you to say, Dad, that's an ugly tie you've got on. Okay. (laughs) Libby's cried.
0: Yeah. Sorry.
1: Do you want a break for a minute?
0: No, it's okay. I think I just, yeah, what you're saying is um, hitting me a little hard because I have... I've just been having a hard time for a while so maybe this is why maybe I haven't been thinking I've been special but
1: and maybe your special reminder. is measured in red instead yeah, of white sure. red stuff does not I mean that's red special big deal oh, yeah. they make money they well, do this they got my... it's the white special yeah. that makes you who you are right. and if you get into the red we get into trouble and that's what this practice is all about, right. is teaching people to live in the white and know that they're special in the white. And when you know you're special in the white, it doesn't matter how red the people are around you or whatever, you know that you're special.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, just my whole existence for the last while has just been like work and work and work and work. And so that's kind of where you start to get your value. And yeah, then it's like, mistake. wait, yeah. why? Why is this my priority? Like, I want to make money, but what is money? Nothing, you know. But it's red it's,
1: stuff—it's
0: hard to. It can turn take you on away. a vacation. Hard, yeah,
1: you know, yeah, buy exactly. groceries for the kids. But what what really develops who you are is the white stuff. Overcoming the red stuff and saying I'm going to be joyful no matter what red is coming at me. Yeah. When I can do that, that's when joy starts to fill me up because it's the white stuff. The white stuff is the only way you really fill the cup. Joseph Campbell said, i am amazed at the number of my friends who spent their entire lives climbing the wall, the ladder of success, only to realize that then when they got to the top of the ladder, they would leaned the ladder against the wrong damn wall. Yes.
0: I remember uh, Gordon B. Hinckley saying that same quote before. Yeah. And yeah, it stuck to me. It stuck with me, except you get distracted because...
1: Because of the red world, well, yeah, slapping yeah. you, said you got to have a new yeah. iPhone. You know, your friends are going to Hawaii. Why aren't you? Your friends yeah. are doing this. You know, da, 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 da. they want they, they just bought a new $400 purse and you're using the one you got it, uh, you know, for $5 <laughs> from the DI. And it's like, geez, this doesn't seem quite fair. Yeah. But when you know that. that you're special, you can handle that Yeah. because you know who you are. You okay now?
0: Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, so we're now we go back to the hands. You. No,
1: wait. I, in the right hand again. Okay. I'm holding. This is Craig in the right hand, who does not feel special and is still allowing everybody else to define him. Left hand, I'm special. Right hand, I'm not so special. Okay. So I'd like you to criticize. He's me
0: holding now. his hands out to his side like a scale. You yeah. know. Okay. So you have a really ugly tie on.
1: And then my the right hand, I go, "What? You don't like this? Well." I know it's terrible. I should get a different one. Well, I can't believe she hates my tie. And I go away feeling badly because I'm letting you define me and my ugly tie and all of those kinds of things. Okay. Now, on the other side, say it again. And this is the Craig who knows that he's special.
0: Oh, you have an ugly tie on.
1: Wow. You don't like this, huh? You know, it's one of my favorites. Uh, sorry. I really do like it. And uh, uh, still care for you. Now, let's take a little bit further from the tie. Say, Dad, sometimes you can be a real jerk.
0: God, sometimes you can be a real jerk.
1: If I'm in the non special category on the right hand, I go, Oh no. Oh no, I'm a terrible person. Or I might fight back me a jerk. Well, if you weren't such a rotten kid, this yeah, I wouldn't you think of me as a jerk. And I can get defensive and I get angry, I get fight, whatever. Now I'm gonna be knowing that I'm special, go ahead, say it again.
0: Uh, you can sometimes be a real jerk, Dad.
1: You know, sweetie, I know sometimes I can. I'm working on it. I hope you can forgive me. Point out to me so I can learn what I need to learn to improve on that. I know that I'm okay. I can handle criticism when I know that I'm special. If I don't know that I'm special, it's hard for me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you finally understand that you're God's kid and that you're special, you can handle criticism. I'm going to take this into one other area now. A number of years ago, I saw a woman whose son had suicided
0: had okay. suicide had, had, had killed killed himself, himself
1: okay. yes, and uh, it doesn't matter what age you are. if your child takes their life, most parents are just absolutely distraught as as she was. She came in and I treated her for about a year, and after a year maybe a year and a half of treatment, she realized that the principal of agency would rescue her because agency says if he ended his life, who's responsible for that? He is he is. Now, mom's dad's society can certainly have an effect on that, but ultimately it's up to the individual. So she got resolution. She disappeared. About three years later, she came back to see me and she said, okay, I need your help again. I said, what's up? She said, well, I work at a plant and I supervise, uh, 10 to 12 people on my team. And there's uh, 10 teams in the plant and we get, uh, our bonuses and based upon the morale of our team and how productive our team becomes. And now they've brought another woman who's been at the plant as long as I have. I've been there for uh, 10 years. She's been there for 11 years and they put her now on my team and everything I say, she says, you're wrong. You're not doing it right. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. Uh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I've been here longer than she has. We'll call my patient Sally. And Sally says, I gotta put her in the chair. Tell her, you know, she can't control me anymore. This is driving me crazy. I can't seem to quite get through this. And so I need I've come back in to see you and help me get get free from from this woman who's uh, worked there a year longer than me, but has never been a supervisor. I've been a supervisor now for seven years. Will you help me? And I said, Okay, but rather than put her in the chair and talk to her, let's talk about the miracle of special. And we talked about it. And she said, yeah, okay, I I can believe that, that I'm special. And I said, now, if you're special, what does that make her? Uh, She's not special. She's driving me crazy. Underneath the red stuff that she's doing in her attempt to prove that she has value, is she still special? I suppose so. And I said, well, before we put her in the chair... You're going to have to have a talk with her. She said, absolutely, I'm going to have a talk with her. Once a month for the last three months. Ever since she's been on the team, she's going to the boss. My, my morale of my team is down. I'm not going to get my bonus. Everything is going terrible. And I said, let's go back to, are you special? She said, yes. Are you letting her define you? Yes. Are you going to let her define you anymore? No, I, I can't. Are you going to let your boss define you anymore? No. This is hitting old anchors of your letting your son's death define you. Yes, I'm questioning whether I have value, whether I have it worth because of this. Okay, you're a religious person? Yeah, well, I am now. You're going to use him? Yeah. So we put him in, in the room. I said, this week when you interview Linda, why don't you put an empty chair in the office and everything that you're going to say to Linda, you're just going to pass it through your God's Lands as if he's sitting there. So you're going to be special and know that you're special. And you're going to try to believe that Linda's special and that your big boss is special and that everybody else is special. Well, the next week she cancels and she comes back two weeks later and she says, I don't know if this worked or not. I said, why? Well, I'll tell you what happened. She came in. The first thing she started doing is bad mouthing Jim who's on the team. And I listened to her and I said, well, you know, Jim does make mistakes once in a while, but he really is a special guy. And I pointed out his special parts. And she said, well, okay. Yeah, but what about what about uh, Kim? And talked about Kim. And Kim said, I told her that Kim is special too, has some issues. And then I pointed out that, you know, I even have some issues once in a while, but I know that I'm special and so does the big boss. And so do you. And so she talked to her about how everybody on the team is special, how she's special, how Sally's special, how Linda's special. And they ended it. And she said, I don't know what it, what it got where it were or not. That's why I'm struggling today. Why? There hasn't been a day the last two weeks that she hasn't brought me a gift from home. She's taking my lunch three times in the last two weeks and won't let me buy anything. She, I, she wants to be my friend and hang out after work. I don't have time. I have other family members that I've got to take care of. But it's like turned upside down. She thinks I'm the most wonderful person in the world. I said, well, you are special, aren't you? <laughs> And she said, yes, I am. And maybe she's recognized it. And maybe the first time in this woman's life since she's worked at that plant is she's starting to see somebody sees her as special.
0: Right.
1: It's the miracle of special. Yeah. When you know that you're special. If you can do it on your own, great. I needed my supreme being, my father in heaven, to know that and to decide that I was special. But first of all, I had to make sure that I was clear that no matter what, He will always think I'm special. Now, you have children, Libby. Mm -hmm. Will you ever stop loving your kids? No. What if they do something stupid?
0: They'll just drive me crazy. Yeah. But I'll still love them. You'll
1: still love them. And you might want to smack them and yell at them and do all those kinds of, are they still special? Mm -hmm. Underneath all the stupid stuff they do, they're still special? Mm -hmm. Are you? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There you go. So that's another part of self-esteem that I wanted to bring up today. Hope it's all been helpful for you so far.
0: I just think of like the professional world, at least in the companies or wherever I have worked, whether it's in mental health or in the restaurant industry, you have different bosses who treat you like you're special and treat you like you're doing a good job. And they probably
1: probably know that they're special, don't they? And
0: you live up to it. You know, you want to... I mean, is it like the looking glass? Because it's like someone sees you as doing a good job, so you want to do a good job. Where when you have a boss, which I have also had, who is very extremely critical, has poor, I don't know, social skills in discussing you know, how we can solve things instead of I've had like serious put downs, like really been put down by a boss. And it's so degrading that it's just like, oh, I've lost all my steam. I don't even care. And those anymore. are probably
1: the lenses that that boss learned to manage. from. Yes. Maybe as a child, maybe in other businesses that he's learned. He's right. not yet learned that he's special and his people right. are special. We absolutely know that positive reinforcement works a heck of a lot better than negative reinforcement. Yeah. Negative reinforcement will like shock therapy, whatever will, will, Act quickly, but it usually doesn't have lasting power. But positive reinforcement lasts and lasts and lasts.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, I know it's up to me with define myself and have that strong self esteem, or be able to take the criticism and grow from it. You know, like in your or other not hand let his stuff
1: mess and with not you, let it mess not with eat the vegetables internally, right. and love the sob anyway.
0: Right, but also it is very wonderful. To work for someone who does it the other way. It, it? It's just great. So you might not learn those <laughs> internal lessons that are thrown down your throat with maybe a mean boss, but I really have noticed the whole company can run better based on how They're all special the person in charge kind of treats you. Yeah. Just kind of like God treating us. If we know he loves us, we're gonna be a little better off.
1: If I raised you saying Libby. I can't stand being around you. You make me sick. Oh, geez, get out of my face. And I raised Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln, you're a star. I love you so much. Who's going to have a better self-esteem? Who's going to feel more positive? Who's going to be more productive?
0: Yeah, more successful. But like we talked
1: about last time with the foundation... Who has to build a foundation? When we're young, our parents do the best they can. Then as teenagers, we look to them to give us our value. Then as we get old, we have to create it ourselves. We still look to loved ones to help us with it. What I'm saying is put your trust in a supreme being that you've decided loves, adores, and cherishes you more than anything. And watch how you can take on anything that this world throws at you. Mm -hmm. If you subscribe to that, which I do very strongly now because it's worked for me. Mm -hmm. And I believe it can work for others, too, if they choose to go that route. But again, so many people, when they feel like they go that route, there's big hands grabbing on the steering wheel. There's all these Uh have-tos that have to happen. No, he loves whether you do all of that or not. That's a very peaceful, sweet place to be when you finally get that nature of who he is.
0: Yeah. I just want to ask you one more thing. I was listening to a podcast this week that was some sports therapist who works with teams and helping them be the most productive. And he was talking about self-esteem. And he said that one of the most important things for him through self-esteem is positive self-talk. Absolutely. Is that something you would implement into practice in your daily life?
1: You know, I I worked with a lot of athletes from Weber and from the University of Utah. I worked with some NBA players and some professional football players and those kinds of people have come in. And we talk about these kinds of things. The guy who hits a foul ball, oh, I hit another foul ball, oh, I hit another foul ball. The other guy gets up and says, yeah, I got a little piece of it, got a little piece of it, just got to straighten it out. Okay. As simple as that, some coaches are, oh, straighten it out. But if you're positive, you say, I got a piece of it. I'm going to get a little bit more of it. I'm going to get a little bit more of it. As simple as hitting the foul ball, do you look at it positively or do you look at it negatively? Mm-hmm. Is your self-talk, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe that there's self-talk. I did it this way, but I'm going to do this way better. I'm going to learn from that experience. Mm-hmm. What we talked about in our beginning sessions, we're going to turn the pain to wisdom. When you start that self-talk of very positive. But again, so much of that pattern of self-talk has taught us when we're little children. When we watch our mom and dad. Did your mom and dad love themselves, Libby? Or did they hate themselves? Did they put each other down? Did they put themselves down? Because if that's what you learned, then that's probably what you'll do until you finally decide, no, if my parents did that, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn myself to positive. It's all going to be uplifting. Mm-hmm. Life sucks for a minute, but then I turned it into wisdom and I grew from it. And look how much better I am for having gone through it. And that teaches your children that no matter how difficult this life is, there's always a way out of it. Excited okay. about that. here we okay. go.
0: Well, thank you everyone for listening today. Sorry, I got a little emotional. I said I'd explain why my dad recorded without his shirt on last week. <laughs> we'll lighten the mood a little. I had an undershirt on. Your, <laughs> your shirt right now is also loud. When I put on these headphones to listen, all I could hear was his shirt moving. So I was like, Dad, you have to take off your shirt. I didn't make you do it today. I don't think it picked up too well. I have I starch on my
1: microphone. in my shirt. Yes. <laughs> Extra
0: starch. am going to have to have that changed. I'm podcasting today. I need a light starch. Um, all right. Golf shirt. Golf shirt. There you go. Okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed today. And we will see you next week on the Full Cup. Thanks
1: for listening. Look forward to talking with you all next week. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.